0: Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is ran by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised.
1: to the Wheel of Crime podcast. My name is Jen. And my name is Emily. Yes, it's been another week gone
0: by with just all this quarantine business. I feel a little bit like a time a time traveler. I like blink my eyes and I and on like a Sunday and I'm like, "Oh my god, it's Saturday.
1: Like how did that happen?" I know. I mean, I can only partially relate because the weeks have felt kind of long to me. I don't know. I think I'm just you know in another place mentally (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the worst part about being an adult is there's no summer vacation you know what i mean Mm -hmm. from like work yeah there's not really like a good break
0: but it does make me understand why people uh as they get older and they have money to do it like do their like little like vacations where they go for two weeks to like aruba or something i remember thinking about and i was like oh like i mean that's fun but like why would you do it but i get it now
1: like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the shitty part is, is like, I want to go on a vacation and like lay on a beach somewhere. It's just, we literally fucking can't because of stupid COVID. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but you know, you just uh, we're we keep we keep on
0: grinding and living and doing our thing, and I guess it's just gonna take some time, and that's about it. But. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that January and February, or at least the beginning of February, did feel especially long. I don't know what that was about, Mm -hmm. but hopefully now that the warmer weather's here, things will change, but maybe not. We'll see.
1: I don't know. I'm really looking forward to spring slash summer this year. I just, like, even if it's, like, kind of, like, adjacent to last year, because we do not have nearly as many vaccines in Canada as in other places in the world Mm -hmm. um but regardless even if it is like last summer honestly I'm okay with that I just need some like warm weather and like it not to be pitch black when I come home from work at like 9 p.m. um (laughs) and you know I just need some like uh some serotonin in my life some serotonin some vitamin d maybe yeah, yeah, that's the
0: vibe. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can understand that. Uh, no, I was uh just thinking while you were saying that that the summertime's gonna get here, and uh, for me, anyways, like it always feels like a little bit of like a party mood. Like you want to be able to like go out to like restaurants mm-hmm. and do all that other stuff, but because of COVID, we can't. So then I started picturing how once all this bullshit's over and we've got the vaccines out enough where people have been vaccinated, at, like enough to the point where they feel comfortable reopening things and doing all that kind of stuff again. I am having a mask burning party. Like, I don't know where, (laughs) like, I haven't even thought about how this is gonna work, but I just had, I have this picture in my head of, like, a giant bonfire and just, like, flinging masks into the fire, like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm at least excited for summer because then we can at least do, like, patio drinks or, like, go eat it on a patio and, like, it's a little bit more COVID friendly, or mm-hmm. like you know, go to or like do a fire. hiking and stuff. Yeah, I just need something to look forward to. If I'm being honest, yes,
0: that is exactly it. The whole not having <laughs> something to look forward to thing actually really gets my goat a lot more than I thought it would. But like I said, yeah. it's just going to take some time. Yet, yeah, at least we're closer to the end than we were before. Is how I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, it's true. I don't know. It's just I think it's hard, to, like, cause you know we have like Halloween, which like that's something to like kind of look forward to, and mm-hmm. you know like the holiday season can be kind of like something to look forward to, even though it was like a very strange this year. But then like January and February are always the worst months because there's literally nothing. Like there's Valentine's Day, but I don't know. Like that's just not as cool of a holiday as fucking Halloween. Like that we're is all so gonna be true. honest. Well, and
0: then we do also have, like, St. Patrick's Day and Easter that come up, but, like, they eh. seem to, they seem to lack the same kind of, like, excitement that Halloween brings, I feel, anyways.
1: Yeah. I'm like, who the fuck is, like, Easter, hell to the yes! No <laughs> one that I
0: know. Only people with kids, I think, who are like, we're gonna buy candy and, like, hang out with rabbits, and that'll be fun. I don't know.
1: Ugh, just such a- f- the fucking lame holidays are all here, but at least, like, March and, like, April are, like- springtime and like summer is coming so that's exciting so now that we're into march i am very much looking forward to like rainy summer nights like that's what i want like a thunderstorm and i'm sitting Ooh, in my I apartment raving
0: a thunderstorm now that you mentioned yeah, it that would be amazing
1: right and like no fucking snow get rid of this bullshit cold <laughs> snow and give me a rainy night and like a cuddly night where I can burn a candle and it's thunderstorming outside and I'm just watching a movie, that's my dream right now. It's okay, very guys? picturesque. That's
0: I can see you sitting in like a deluxe armchair with like a book, as like Belle runs in through the front doors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I have a dream. Okay. No, I love it. We got to we got to have something, right? But uh. Yeah, it's the little things.
0: Yeah, but on that note, should we start spinning our wheel of questions? Yeah. All right, let's hit it.
1: Question number three Are you afraid of the dark? Hmm. I will say yes, but only in
0: certain contexts. Like, I don't mind being in the dark in my house because I'm obsessive and I... <laughs> and I know the doors are locked and I know the windows are locked and I have nothing to fear <laughs> because I check that shit. I have no space under my bed. Things are Gucci. But like, Things are Gucci. <laughs> but, like, maybe in, like, a hotel room that I'm unfamiliar in or, like, maybe, like, outside. I feel like being in the dark outside is really not my vibe. I would be scared of the dark then because I am, like... I would be, like super prey to something out there that hunts in the dark because I can't fucking see anyway. So yeah, no.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. What about you? Um, I mean, I would also say yes and no. Like I think I, I think the problem is, is like logically, no, I'm not afraid of the dark. There's nothing that really like scares me. Um, except for people.
0: Yeah. People scare me. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, I wouldn't want to be in the dark outside by myself in the woods, because, I mean, obviously in that situation, a cougar and or a bear might find me. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also more afraid of people, I think. Like, I would be ten times more nervous being in the dark, like, downtown somewhere. (laughs) You know, walking past dumpsters thinking somebody's gonna jump out with a knife than I would be in the woods, I guess? I don't know. Both predators, but different situations.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, also, sometimes my brain is like, but what if ghosts are real? <laughs> <laughs> see, I so think it comes situation. from watching
0: tons of horror movies, though, because I don't normally think like that unless like, unless like there's like a weird situation where like, I'll, I'll like be somewhere with like uh, my sister and she'll be like, did you just see like that blonde kid run past? And it'll just be the two of us. And I'm like, well. I don't like that. (laughs) Um, Please stop. Uh, I would like to pass away now. I'm like, actually, this conversation's over. Uh, What were were we talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. Exactly. But yes, on that note, should we spin for our second question?
1: Spin again, my dude. Question number two. This kind of, um, leads into the, like, last question, but what in the dark are you most afraid of? Hmm. Yes. I feel like I kind of
0: already alluded to it, but predators. Like, I feel-
1: Predators.
0: Predators. But that's the thing, like, you, people, I feel like, are more worried about, like, getting attacked when they can't see, which I feel like is, a, is like, a fairly- normal fear. I guess some Mm -hmm. people might be worried about, like, tripping over stuff in the dark, I guess. But, like, yeah, no, I'd be more worried about, like, something attacking me while I can't see what it is. That would be really spooky.
1: Yeah. I feel like I'm... I it's hard. I think because as women we kind of look behind our backs a lot more. Like I know well, we is, get like, we I'm... get
0: trained into a lot of that stuff too, though, by like either our moms or whoever being like, oh yeah, when you're out, make sure you look behind you every now and again, so to double j- check that nobody's following you or like stuff like that.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Which like I don't love that. I wish I felt safe, but uh, it would be what it be. I suppose. Yeah, the
0: whole thing with that is, like, uh, I think we talked about this before, where it's your, you are teaching, you're teaching people so that rather than them being the victim, that somebody else is the victim, rather than teaching the perpetrator not to be perpetrating <laughs> yep. and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and uh, there's definitely work to be de- to be had there, but... Yeah, no, I think that would be, that would be my answer, though, is definitely the whole idea of being, like, attacked and not being able to see who or what it is would be the spookiest part.
1: I would agree with you. I think, I think I'm, I'm afraid of uh, being murdered. That would not be my favorite thing.
0: Yes, I'll include ghosts and demons into that category also, because I feel like if I was attacked by a demon and I couldn't see it, that would be a, a horrifying experience.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be murdered, uh, whether you're a live person or, or a dead a ghost. <laughs> I don't want to uh, be murdered by anyone alive or dead. Um, I don't want to be possessed. I don't want to be murdered by an animal either. That doesn't sound fun. No,
0: but at least, like, most animals will, like, try to kill you before they eat you, unless they're sadistic, I guess, but... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It could be worse, I suppose, but... It could be worse. It could be worse. All right, let's spin for our next question. Okay.
1: Number one. What is a cool skill that someone in your family um or like a family friend taught you when you were young funny
0: enough i did have something pop into my head um okay stilt walking
1: right i forgot about that
0: yeah my mom uh was never in the circus although i mean that could have been a very (laughs) successful career choice for her
1: could have yeah
0: But, uh, no, when she, when I was younger, she taught me how to walk on stilts, so we have, like, a, and not, like, small ones either, like, my learning curve was literally on, like, a pair of, like, eight foot tall wooden stilts. Jesus. Oh, yeah, like, it's, like, mega beefy. I just remember I used to have, like, all these, like, bruises under my arms because of how you have to hold them and stuff like that, but yeah, mm-hmm. no, I can walk on stilts, and that is pretty cool. It's
1: pretty neato. Yeah, what about you? Um, well, I mean, like, my, hmm, I'm trying to think. I don't know.
0: Did somebody ever teach you how to, like, pick a lock or something?
1: No. I mean, like, my, my dad taught me how to, like, play a guitar, so that's kind of cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, like, learn any, like, weird things, I don't think.
0: See, this just reminds me of, like, being in school during, like, the icebreaker time where they'd be like tell the class something interesting about yourself
1: (laughs) yeah i know i was at a, a a zoom work event oh like a zoom party the other day and they were like everyone go around and tell us something about yourself that no one else knows, and I'm like think like trying to rack my brain, being like, I don't know. See, but that's the whole thing that nobody else knows turns into like a
0: weird, like dark thing sometimes. Yeah, where it's like nobody knows I killed my gerbil when I was five years old, oh my God. <laughs> or something, like that. and then everybody else is like. Oh, wow. Yeah, we didn't know that. (laughs) You're a fucking
1: psycho. Wow, you're actually crazy.
0: That's great to know.
1: (laughs) Right? I think mine was that I've broken my nose twice in my life. Oh, was it twice? Yep. Once in grade two and
0: then once in grade seven. I remember the one time because you were telling me about that, but I didn't actually know that was
1: twice. Yeah, in in the second grade... Uh, it was Halloween and we were all like it had snowed early that year. I think it had started snowing at like the beginning of October. And so the playground was super icy and we were all running in from recess and I like fell on my face and like hit my nose. And then like a kid who was like right behind me, like kind of like pushed on me, like my mm-hmm. face and it like cracked my nose.
0: Oof. That it sucks.
1: was brutal. And then... I was so sad because I didn't get to go trick-or-treating, and I remember being really, like, <laughs> upset about that. And then, yeah, in grade seven, I was the goalie on my soccer team, and someone literally kicked me in the face with their cleated, um, like, soccer shoe. See, that's the one I remember because I remember being
0: mad about it.
1: Yeah, and, like, I had, like, bruises on my face, like, with the indents of their cleats. man. See, this is what I'm
0: saying. Teenagers are not nice people. I am actually more scared of teenage girls than I think I am of like most other people.
1: Yeah. Scary. They didn't mean to in either occasion, but it was hella painful and my nose is still very crooked. Oh, is it? Yeah. I have literally never noticed. I think you're beautiful. Aww, I am. No, you're so cute. No. Thank you.
0: Now, I'm trying to think, do we have one more question left? Yeah, one more. Okay. I will spin for our last question. All right, what's our last
1: question? Would you ever fight in a war? It's kind of a political question, but, like, if, like, you know, there was, like, a World War Three. And you had the option. Do you think that you would want to do that? Or would you be like, <laughs> no, thank you, my sir.
0: Hmm. I feel like um, it wouldn't be something that I would volunteer for. But like, say, for example, there was like a whole thing where it's like, if more per- people participate In, like, being a part of the army, we can end this war sooner than I might... Like, I wouldn't want to, like, do nothing, though, either. Especially if, like, if I had a lot of, like, loved ones who were in the army at the time and stuff like that. Like, I think that would be the big thing. Um. So, what is your topic for today?
1: So, because... Not last episode, because that was Emily's, but the one before. We talked about the Golden State Killer, who was also the original Night Stalker. Mm -hmm. So today... I thought I would tell you all about the the other Night Stalker, the one who they thought may have been the same person, but turns out his name was actually Richard Ramirez. Yes, and that's the one that most people are talking about when
0: they mention the Night Stalker. Yes, correct. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Okay, okay. I am so ready for this.
1: All right, so let's dive on in. So, nice. Richard Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960. He was the youngest of Julia Sadie Ramirez's children. His father, Julian, a Mexican national and former policeman who later became a laborer um, on the railway, was prone to fits of anger that resulted in physical abuse. So, 12-year-old Richard, or as he was known by most family, Richie was strongly influenced by his older cousin, Miguel, also known as Mike, um, who was a decorated green beret combat veteran who had often boasted of his gruesome exploits and abuses during the Vietnam war. He shared Polaroid photos of his victims, including Vietnamese women that he had raped. And some of the photos Mike posed with the severed head woman that he had abused. Richard had begun smoking marijuana at the age of 10, bonded with his cousin Mike over joints and gory war stories. Mike taught his young cousin some of his military skills, such as killing with stealth, and around this time, uh, Richard began to escape from his father's violent temper by sleeping at a local cemetery. Well, that's not great. (laughs) <laughs> not off to a really good start there. Um,
0: that's like a super shitty start. Okay, first abuse because that's always terrible. Followed quickly by I have a cousin who loves to murder, and, <laughs> and he just he loves it, and he has all these pictures of his of his victims because he's so proud of it. And
1: I'm gonna hang out with this guy and then sleep in the cemetery at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roy so- Rich here is not off to a great start. He has had a bit of a rough go of it, and his cousin Mike is a Is a lot. What a terrible Terrible. cousin.
0: The worst cousin. (laughs) You see, my cousins, all they've done to like try to teach me is like how to shotgun, and that went (laughs) terribly. And that was (laughs) only once. Never once have they sat me down and been like, I'm gonna give you an edumacation. I'm gonna
1: teach you how to kill, Emily. (laughs) I feel like if that happened,
0: I would have been like, How about. No, absolutely
1: not.
0: When would I ever use this skill?
1: Yeah, so. Richard was present on May 4th, 1973, when his cousin Mike fatally shot his wife, Jessie, in the face with a caliber revolver during a domestic argument. And after the shooting, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Later that year, Richard moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, an obsessive- Peeping Tom, who took Richie along on his nocturnal exploits. Uh, don't love that. Not the vibe.
0: That is so fucking gross. This family's idea of bonding is like
1: very screwy. Uh Ramirez also began using LSD and cultivated an interest in Satanism, which of course he did, because I mean <laughs> the devil is always here with us on these episodes. He's always present. Always present. And Mike was found not guilty of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity and was released in 1977 after four years of incarceration at the Texas State Mental Hospital. His influence over Richie uh, did continue, however, after he was released. Not surprising there. Naturally. Naturally. So, a young Richie began to meld his burgeoning sexual fantasies with violence, including forced bondage and rape. While still in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he used his passkey to rob sleeping patrons. His employment ended abruptly after a Richard attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband returned to find them. Although the husband beat Richard senseless at the scene of the crime, criminal charges were dropped when the couple, who lived out of state, decided that they didn't want to come back to testify against him, (sighs) which, in retrospect, is probably a big mistake. That's super scary. Richie dropped out of high school. He was attending Jefferson High at the time, and he dropped out when he was in the ninth grade, which is really young, um, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. At the age of 22, he moved to California, where he permanently settled on April 10th, 1984, Richard murdered nine year old Emile in the basement of a hotel where he was living in San Francisco. He raped and beat the girl before stabbing her to death and hanging her body from a pipe. This ended up being Richard's first known killing, but was not identified as being connected to him until 2009 when Richard's DNA was matched to a sample obtained at the crime scene. Which is really crazy. And in 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through DNA sample retrieved from the scene, who is believed to have also been present during the young girl's murder. Authorities have not publicly identified that second suspect, though. And it that person was described as being a juvenile at the time and did not have charges brought against them due to the lack of evidence I mean it's also kind of just a scary thought to think that he Richard was potentially uh, grooming a, a little Richard Jr. just the way his cousin Mike was You know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, yeah. No, he's a monster. That's the thing, too, is, like, that's the one thing I do remember about people when they do talk about the Night Stalker. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy's, like, a fucking madman. Like, he's terrible, nasty. So, like, as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this. I know this is not going to go well.
1: Awful. This is a terrible, monstrous man. Absolutely heinous. So, on June 28th, 1984, 79-year-old jenny vincow was brutally murdered in her apartment in los angeles Uh, she had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed and her throat slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated richard's fingerprint was found on the mesh screen he removed to gain access through an open window on March 17, 1985, he attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside of her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a can gun after she pulled into her garage. She survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys she held in her hands as she lifted them to protect herself. However, inside the house, her roommate Dale, who was 34 at the time, heard the gunshot and ducked behind a counter and when she saw Richard enter the kitchen she raised her head he shot her in the forehead and killed her
0: yeah like anybody who has that in them is not a person I don't like I really don't believe that I think that's a monster
1: so within an hour of the Rosemead home invasion Richard pulled 30 year old veronica Yu out of her car in monterey park and shot her twice with that handgun and then fled she was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital and the two murders and attempted third in a single day attracted extensive media coverage as you would think Mm -hmm. and he was described as curly haired with bulging eyes and wide-spaced rotting teeth and coined the walking killer or the valley intruder. Okay, so he had, like, a
0: few names.
1: And, I mean, honestly, if I'm being candid here, I would probably be pissed if someone ever described me as someone with rotting teeth. <laughs> oh, my God. I would be, like, great.
0: I'm never leaving my house <laughs> ever again.
1: Yeah, that's heinous. If I would be pissed pissed. I'd be so pissed. On March 27th, 1985, Richard entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier uh, outside of Whittier, California at approximately 2am and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles Zazara with a gunshot to his head from a handgun. Vincent's wife, Maxine, was awoken by the gunshot and ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding that she show him where the valuables were while he ransacked the home maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved the shotgun from under the bed which was not loaded and this infuriated richard so much he shot her three times with the handgun and then fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen he mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then gouged out her eyes and placed them in a jewelry box, which he then left with. The autopsy determined that the mutilations were post-mortem, and Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter, which would be awful to find your parents that way. I, I can't even imagine yeah that's a lot to unpack there richard left footprints from a pair of aviva sneakers in the flower beds which the police photographed and cast this was virtually the only evidence the police had at the time and bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at previous attacks and while the police determined it was a serial killer at large because of that um on may 14th 1918 Eighty-five. Richard returned to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doy and his wife, Lillian. So, he surprised Bill in his bedroom and shot him in the face with his semi-automatic pistol as Bill went for his own handgun. After beating him into unconsciousness, Richard entered Lillian's bedroom and bound her with thumb cuffs, then raped her, and he had ransacked the homes for valuables. Bell died of his injuries while in hospital. Um, on the night of May 29th, 1985, Richard drove a stolen car to Monrovia and stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell. And her sister, who also had a disability, whose name was Florence Lang, um, he found a hammer in the kitchen, then he bludgeoned and bound Florence in her bedroom, and then bound and bludgeoned Mabel before using an electrical cord to shock the women. After raping Florence, he used Mabel's lipstick to draw a satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh as well as on the walls of both bedrooms the women were found two days later alive but comatose and mabel later died from her injuries unfortunately
0: that's really sad
1: the very next day richard drove the same car to burbank and snuck into the home of carol kyle At gunpoint, he bound her and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, then ransacked the home. He released her only to direct him where the family's valuables were, and then he repeatedly raped her. Richard also repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together with handcuffs. On the night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Arcadia and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, uh, who is a widowed grandmother. After quietly entering Cannon's home, he found her asleep in her bedroom, bludgeoned her into unconsciousness, and then with a lamp, he then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch butcher's knife from the kitchen. She was found dead at the scene. On July 5th, 1985, Richard broke into the home of Sierra Mardy and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen, Richard attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. He stated that he was startled to see electronic electric sparks emanate from the cord when his victim began to breathe he fled the house believing that jesus christ himself had intervened and saved her bennett survived the savage beating although 478 stitches were required to close the lacerations to her scalp on july 7th 1985 Richard burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson in Monterey Park, finding her asleep on her living room couch. He beat her to death by using his fists and kicking her in the head. A shoe print from the Aviva sneaker was left imprinted on her face, and after cruising two other neighborhoods, he returned to Monterey Park and chose the home of Sophie Dickman, Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman at gunpoint, attempted to rape her, and stole her jewelry. When she swore to him that he had taken everything, he told her to then swear again, but on Satan this time. On July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He chose the home of Lila Needing and her husband, Maxson and he burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with a machete. He killed them with shots to the head from his handgun and further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of its valuables. After quickly fencing the stolen items from the their house, he drove to Sun Valley. At approximately 4.15 a.m. that very day, he broke into the home... Of the Kavana family, he shot the sleeping husband in the head with his handgun, killing him instantly, and then repeatedly beat the wife. He bound the couple's terrified eight-year-old son before dragging the wife around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he then stole. During the assault, he demanded that she also swear on Satan and that he and that she was not hiding any any money from him. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He crept in the bedroom window, startled Virginia, and then shot her in the face with his semi automatic handgun. And then he shot Chris in the neck and attempted to flee. Chris fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Richard managed to escape. The couple both. Actually, ended up surviving their injuries. On August 8th, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California, and he chose the home of Sakina Abowath, who and her husband, alias. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering that. And sometime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and went into the master bedroom. He instantly killed the sleeping Elias with a shot to the head from his handgun. He cuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and then brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan and that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Richard tied up the child and then continued to rape his mother right in front of him. After Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbors for help. Richard, who had been following all of the media coverage of his crimes, of course, left Los Angeles and headed to San Francisco. On August 18th, In 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot the sleeping Peter in the temple with his handgun and then he beat and sexually assaulted Barbara before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the crime scene, Richard used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. Richard again left a shoe print at the scene, and the detectives discovered that it matched a specific Aviva shoe, and upon the detectives' discovery of the make and the U.S. distribution of Ramirez's Aviva shoes, it was found that only six of them in size 11 and a half were to have ever existed. Uh, With five of them being shipped to Arizona, it was evident that the one pair that was being shipped to L.A. probably belonged to richard
0: Oof, that's a lot
1: so when it was discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the los angeles crime scenes matched the pan crime scene san francisco's then mayor diane Feinstein divulged the information including the gun pal- caliber which was a 0.25 in a televised press conference this leak infiltrated the detectives in the case as they knew the killer would be following the media coverage, which gave him the opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. Richard, who had been watching the press, dropped his size 11 of UVA sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge that very night. He remained in the area for a few more days before heading back to the Los Angeles area. And on August 24th, 1985, Ramirez traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Viejo. That night, he arrived at the home of James Ramiro Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation to- ...from a beach in Mexico, which sounds amazing right now. So, Ramiro's son, 13-year-old James Ramiro III, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking there was a prowler, James went to wake up his parents and Ramirez fled the scene. James raced outside and noted the color and make and style of the car, as well as the partial license plate number ramiro contacted the police with this information believing that james had chased away a thief which he did but he also chased away the night stalker so that's a fucking smart kid if you ask me
0: oh super smart
1: after this encounter richard broke into the house of bill carnes and his fiancee inez erickson and he went through the back door Richard entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and awakened Carnes uh, when he cocked his handgun. And he shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told the terrified woman that he was a night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he could find, Ramirez dragged Erickson into another room before raping her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry. He made her swear on Satan that there was no more, and before leaving the home, he told her, "'Tell them the Night Stalker was here.'" and Erickson untied herself and went to a neighbor's house to get help for her severely injured fiancé. Surgeons removed the bullets from his head, and he ended up surviving his injuries, which is just absolutely incredible. So, Erickson gave a detailed description of the assailant to investigators. The police obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Ramiro's house, and the stolen car was found abandoned on August 28th in wilshire center la and police obtained a single fingerprint from the rear view mirror despite ramirez's careful efforts to wipe the car clean of his prints the print was positively identified as belonging to richard who was described as a 25 year old drifter from texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations On August 29th, 1985, law enforcement officials decided to release a mugshot of Richard from a 1984 arrest uh, that was for audio theft to the media and the night stalker finally had a face. At the police press conference, it was announced, We know who you are now and soon everyone else will too. There will be no place you can hide. On the night of June 27th, 1985, 32-year-old Patty Elaine Higgins was murdered in her Arcadia home. The crime was not discovered until July 2nd when she did not show up for work and her attacker had sodomized her, strangled her, and slashed her throat. Richard was charged with the murder and burglary in relation to Higgins' murder. However, the charges against him in this particular case were eventually dropped due to the lack of concrete physical evidence linking higgins murder to the night stalker crimes on august 30th 1985 ramirez took a bus to tuscan arizona to visit his brother unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across california And after failing to meet his brother, he then decided that he was going to come back to LA. And early on the morning of August 31st, as he was walking out of the bus station, he literally walked right past two police officers who were stalking the bus terminal, but they were looking at the outgoing bus terminal. So as he was coming in, they didn't even see him because they were expecting him to be trying to get the fuck out of LA, not come back. Um, which is crazy. Mmm, okay. So, he walked right past them and then he walked right into a convenience store in East LA. After noticing a group of elderly Mexican women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, uh, which I'm horribly pronouncing, means the killer richard saw his face on the front pages of the newspaper rack and fled the store in panic he's been identified and discovered and he's fucked Mm -hmm. so after running across the santa Ana freeway he attempted to carjack a woman but was chased away by bystanders who pursued him After hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjackings, he was eventually subdued by a group of residents, one of whom had struck him over the head with a metal bar in the pursuit. The group held Richard down and relentlessly beat him until the police arrived and took him into custody. So jury selection for the trial began on july 22nd 1988 at his first court appearance richard raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled hail satan on august 3rd 1988 the los angeles times reported that some jail employees overheard richard planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun which ramirez had intended to have smuggled into the courtroom Consequently, a metal detector was then installed outside, and intensive searches were conducted when people were entering the court. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The rest of the jury was absolutely terrified um, because they were wondering if... Richard had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell uh, and they were unsure whether or not he could reach other jurors. However, it was ultimately determined that Richard was not responsible for this woman's death as she was shot and killed by her boyfriend who later committed suicide with the same weapon in the hotel. So, it was a complete coincidence and unrelated but that is still horrifying and absolutely insane (gasps) like what are the chances you know
0: oh yeah no it's so crazy for like what she was being called in for and then how she ended up dying like that in, in and of itself is already weird
1: yeah the alternate juror who replaced phyllis was too frightened to return to her home honestly fair Which I don't blame her.
0: I would also not return to my home, I think, after that happened, for sure.
1: And on September 20th, 1989, Richard was convicted of all charges... Which was 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. And he stated to reporters after the death sentences, he said, quote, Big deal. Death always went with the territory. See ya in Disneyland. What? (laughs) End quote. Which okay, sure don't know what that means but okay sure mm-hmm mans
0: mans is crazy that's a, that's what i've de- that's what I've decided
1: he is crazy and he is dangerous. the trial cost one point eight million dollars which in today's monies that would be three point seven one million dollars, which at the time made the most expensive trial in the history of California. Until surpassed by the O.J. Simpson murder trial in 1994, aye, aye, aye. psychiatrist Michael H. Stone describes Richard as the made sociopath, as opposed to the born sociopath. And he says that Richard's schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims, and his untreatability. Okay. Stone also stated that. Richard was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions before he was six years old, and as a result, later developed temporal lobe epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. By the time of the trial, Richard had fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits, which is a whole other thing that's just rarely strange. I don't get the the fetishization of... Serial killers. I find it so gross. And it's so weird, too, because it's such a,
0: like, common thing. I kind of talked about it, actually, during our Halloween episode. The whole, like, idea of being attracted to monsters also includes people who murder other people. There's, like, a weird, like... Like, I don't know if it's purely a sexual thing or if there's some kind of, like, subconscious fascination with it. But the community's big enough where, like, I actually am genuinely concerned...
1: (laughs) Like, mm, maybe not. You know, just, just maybe not. Let's not. They're fucking murdering and (laughs) raping people and ruining so many people's lives. Like, maybe, maybe just no. Well,
0: it's like all the people who would talk about Ted Bundy and they'd be like, oh my god, he's so sexy. But then, like, you know, you look at his list of victims and you're like, um, why would you ever even think, like, about somebody's attractiveness level while also completely ignoring how many people's lives he's taken?
1: That's a no. Beginning in 1985, a woman named Doreen Loy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. Mm In 1988, Richard proposed to her, and on October 3rd, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State State Prison. For many years before Richard's death, Doreen had stated that she would commit suicide when Richard was uh, eventually executed. However, Doreen eventually ended up leaving him in 2009 after the DNA confirmed he had raped and murdered the nine year old girl, May Lang. And by the time of his death in 2013, Richard was. Engaged to a different woman named Christine Lee, a 23 year old writer. Okay. Which is crazy if you ask me. On August 7th, 2006, Richard's first round of state appeals ended unsuccessfully when the California Supreme Court upheld the convictions and his death sentence. On September seventh, two 2006, the California Supreme Court denied his request for a rehearing and Richard had additional appeals pending until the time of his death. So Richard died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Greenbrae, California. On June seventh, 2013, he had also been afflicted by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection. At 53 years old, he had been on death row for more than 23 years. By some estimates, he would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out due to California's lengthy appeal process. So, there you have it. That is my story for this week. Uh, But yeah, no, I'm glad how
0: you, uh, talked about your story today because, like I said, a lot of this stuff, like, I, like, I I knew some things, but, like, you'd be talking about, like, other things and I was like, oh my god, like, this guy is a maniac. But that does bring us to the end of our episode. If you would like to get into contact with us, are we, are we male? (laughs) Oh my god. Our email is <laughs> wheelofcrime at gmail.com. You can also follow us on all of our social medias, which is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok, all at Wheel of Crime. We also do have a Patreon if you would like to help us and support our show. We do have different tiers available so that you can kinda like get little rewards depending on what you want, and that is at Wheel of Crime on Patreon. Um and please leave us a review on iTunes. So we would really love to be able to kind of get a little bit higher up in the charts from our listeners. Just put some five stars, say some gobbledygook. Like, it doesn't have to say anything, but it will help us out with, like, our trends and all that different kind of stuff. So that would be really helpful as well. Thanks
1: so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye!